Romans chapter 8, 31 through 34. The word of God reads, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. If you would, please join me in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, we know that Paul wrote this letter to Christians in Rome. We know it's a letter, it's correspondence. Yet, when I read it, and I'm sure as you have heard and read through it, you can't help but hear Paul preaching. Right? It's this letter that comes alive. It's as if when we read it, we can hear Paul standing in front of us, giving us the word of God. And so here, as Paul has been preaching, and now he's nearing the end of what he's been saying here in Romans 8, he, as someone who's trained in rhetoric and arguments, understands that there will be objections coming his way. And so before he finishes, he wants to address those objections that people might have. And he begins with some clarifying questions. He begins with that question, what then shall we say to these things? How is it that we are to respond to what we just heard? Now, before we go any further, as Paul anticipates the objections, he says, what then shall we say to these things, knowing people will have objections? But let's look over exactly what it is Paul has preached here in Romans 8. Paul is taught that salvation is forever. That the Holy Spirit secures our eternal glory because it is the Spirit who dwells in us. That it is the Holy Spirit who enables us to be obedient. And because of the sufficient work of Christ on the cross, we have received a verdict of no condemnation. Amen? What shall we say to these things? Paul asks. When Paul is saying that, he's anticipating the objections. And when Paul looks over it and understands, he believes there are only two objections to this. And it's in regard to our salvation. One is that, can, I, can some person cause me to lose my salvation? And the second objection is, is there some circumstance that can cause me to lose my salvation? And for the rest of Romans 8, Paul addresses these questions, these two objections. 
And so we will do the same over the next two weeks. We're going over 31 through 34 where Paul addresses the, the who question. Is there someone, is there a person who can cause us to lose our salvation? Next week in verses 35 through 37, we'll look at the circumstance. And then we'll see Paul's crescendo at the end there with a glorious hallelujah and amen. But what then shall we say to these things? Can you lose your salvation? Some of you will say that you can. And so now Paul addresses it. Remember, Romans 8 is this chapter full of assurance. In the midst of our most troubling times, in the midst of our suffering, we can turn to the truth found in Romans 8 to hold on to that we have assurance of God's grace and of our salvation. And so Paul begins, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, then who can be against us? First off, what Paul has been doing in his letter to the Romans from chapter 3, verse 21, all the way through Romans 8, verse 30, has been telling us that God is for us. He's been setting it up. He told us back in chapter 5, right, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, proving God's love for us. He told us all throughout Romans 8, and it began with, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This entire letter, Paul has been setting us up to remind us to hold on to that God is for you who are in Christ Jesus. He's on your side now and forevermore. And so who can be against us? That's a question. Now the who in this question refers to people, human beings. Is there a person who can take away your salvation? Now you would ask, who would want to try and do a thing like that? Who would want to go and mess with your perfectly good salvation? Oh, lots of people. You know, as our community, as our country and the world becomes increasingly secular, the questions, the attacks will increase. Now attacks not in... Uh, maybe violent persecution, but attacks in that, uh, the backbiting, oh, you can't trust that person, they're a Christian. What, what do you mean only those who are in Christ get to go to heaven? How do you even know these things? And, and there's these attacks that come against your faith. You know, for the longest period here in the United States, it's, it's been a benefit to also be a Christian. The culture has accepted it and, and, and referred to it as a benefit, but as it becomes increasingly secular, it becomes a deficit. So can a person cause you to lose your salvation? See the world out here, there's people in the world. There's people of the world that believe in the things of the world and want all of the glory of the world. And the question we have to ask is, do these worldly people really want us to grow in our faith? Is that their end goal or is that their concern? 
Do they really want us to hold on to our worldview, to understand that God is our creator, that the Bible is our guide, and that Jesus is our Lord above all? Or are they constantly trying to get us to conform to the world? That's what advertisers do, right? You need this. I had no idea that existed. Well, you need it. Right? This is a constant conforming to the world. Even our political system has propped up a false dichotomy that isn't, pro- that isn't propagated within Scripture to say that you can't be a Christian if you vote for. Tell me in Scripture where that's found. That's the world getting to you. That's the world getting to you. Remember, we're in Christ. To be in Christ is to grow as a Christian, to follow Jesus, as it says in Romans 12, right? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, right? God's purpose for us is that he has predestined us to conform to Christ, not the world. But the people of the world will always want you to be like them. Because the way of Christ is in a way of self-promotion. It isn't a way of getting ahead of others. The way of Christ is filled with love and grace and generosity. The way of Christ is filled with forgiveness. The way of Christ, as Jesus says, it is a narrow gate and few will find it. But Paul asks the question, but he knows that the believers have the Holy Spirit in them. And so when we see this question, if God is for us, who can be against us? We read it this way. Since God is for us, who can successfully be against us? Who? No one. No one can frustrate God's ultimate purposes. God is sovereign. God is in control. And remember, Paul just said, you were called according to his purpose. And no one can stop God from accomplishing what God is going to do. In fact, Jesus says it in his own words. John 10, verses 28 and 29. Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Even further, he says this, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. Not some, right? He says greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. No one. Not a person in the world can take you out of the Father's hand. And when you're in the Father's hand, your salvation is secure. So, can anyone cause you to lose your salvation? No. 
That's an easy question to answer. Paul did with it quite quickly. Well, if no person can do it, what about God? Can he take it away? Can God change his mind about us? We look at verse 32, and it reads, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Sounds like a big confluted sentence, but Paul is saying something rather simple here for us to understand about God and his nature. He says that God did not spare his own son to save us. Don't you think that he will do lesser things to keep us? He delivered his son over the one who knew no sin to take on the punishment for all of our sins. And then after doing all of that, you think he's not going to do lesser things to hold on to you? It's simply not who God is. I mean, this is the big stuff, right? Look at this. Before we loved God, we hated him. We sinned against him openly and were rebellious in every way of our lives. We had no need for God and were perfectly okay without him. Or so we thought, right? And it was in the midst of that, in the depths of that, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, proving God's love for you. That's it. That's what God has done. The greatest cost, the greatest price ever paid, God's perfect son for a bunch of rebels. Now he's going to change his mind? No. He's not going to change his mind about you. So another person can't. God doesn't. Who else is there? Satan? What about Satan? Can Satan take away your salvation? Hmm. Paul writes these questions. Who shall bring charges against God's elect? Who is to condemn? Satan is our accuser. Satan accuses us before God, but Satan also comes to us and reminds us just how sinful and wretched we are, doesn't he? Trying to remind us we're not worthy. Hey, you're not doing good enough. You're slipping. You're falling. It's okay. I'll catch you. Right? These are the tactics of Satan. It's, not, oh, it's, it's okay if you fall away. It's not so bad over here. But thank God... He took the bite for us and crushed his head. Satan is our accuser. But you know what else? Sometimes, sometimes we do Satan's bidding for him, don't we? Hmm. Might want to pick your toes up off the floor for this one. We complain about others, gossip, we slander. When we do those things, we are doing Satan's work for him. We're accusing 
being the accuser for others. But here's what the scripture says. It's not up to Satan. It's not up to us. For it is God who justifies. It is God who makes us righteous. It is God who alone is the ultimate judge. And God alone condemns and God alone declares who is righteous. And God has declared that those who are in Christ as righteous. And so, therefore, at the same time, he cannot declare us guilty. There is no higher judge. Satan accuses us before God, and he attempts to get us to believe that we are condemned. But it's God who justifies, and he has declared for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is why Paul starts off with it in verse 1. It's so instrumental. God's declaration rules over everything. That there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God has justified you through Christ. Satan can accuse you all day long, but God's got you in his hands. Remember what Jesus just said in John 10. No one God is greater than all, and no one can snatch you from his hand. No one. No person. God doesn't do it. Satan can't do it. So then Paul thinks, well, what about Jesus? Will he take our salvation? Will he take us away? No. No, no, if you're in Christ, he's not going to turn his back on you. Then Paul begins giving you a list of exactly what Jesus has done for you. Right there in verse 34, he begins telling you that Christ is the one who died for you. He was your substitute. He didn't know any sin. He didn't have to go die. He didn't have to be reconciled before God. He was already good with God. We're the ones who had a sin that couldn't be paid by ourselves. And Jesus steps in as our substitute, dies the death we deserve. And as he takes on our sin, he gives us his righteousness. That's what Christ has done for you. And more than that, Paul writes, he was raised. Three days later, he was raised from the dead. And when Jesus is raised from the dead, not only have our sins been atoned for, but we become co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs to the resurrection. And then he was exalted to the right hand of God because he fully accomplished our eternal salvation. Christ isn't going to take your salvation. Not only has he completed it for you, he now sits at God's right hand, the mercy seat. There he is. And here's what we're told he's doing while he's there. He is praying for you. He is talking to God on your behalf. It says he is interceding for you. So Satan is up there hoisting accusations. And Jesus, at his right hand, is interceding on your behalf. Who's God listening to? 
Who's God listening to? His beloved son with whom he is well pleased. He's listening to Jesus, not Satan. So there's no other person that can cause you to lose your salvation. God doesn't do it. Satan doesn't have the power. And Jesus has done everything to get you there to God. What about ourselves? Hmm. Can we cause ourselves to lose our salvation? Can you cause yourself to be unborn? God took your heart and you were born again. He's given you the spirit to dwell within you. The spirit that overcomes our sins. The spirit as a guarantee of our salvation. John writes about this in his first letter, chapter 2, verse 19. He writes, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. We can't cause ourselves to lose our own own salvation, right? Let's go back and hear Jesus' words one more time in John 10. These are powerful words. Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one, including yourself, right? How does that no one apply to everyone but you? That's a reach, right? No one, including yourself, will be able to snatch them out of his hand or wiggle your way out. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one, including ourselves, is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Your salvation is secure. And oh, what comfort it is to know that we are forevermore in God's hands. That's why we gather We praise him, we sing to him, we rejoice, and with confidence we can walk out these doors knowing that we can give fully our lives over to him because in him and him alone are we secure forever. Amen.